Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 16, week 16, volume 16, number fucking 16. Welcome everybody to the Mosh Zone. Big show, exciting show, lots to cover, lots in store. We've got all the Mosh news, we've got Mosh reviews, including our take on the new Parkway Drive album, Reverence. And also our interview and chat this week is with Robbie of The Contortionist. First up is the Mosh News. So this week was a little bit of ins and outs going on in a few bands. Chelsea Grin announced that their guitarist and Alex, their vocalist, have left the band and that they've now recruited... Tom Barber of Lorna Shaw fame to their band. So as we know previously, Alex, formerly of Chelsea Green, was going through some medical and personal reasons and that resulted in Chelsea Green pulling out of a few shows and festivals. What's come out since this news that he's left the band was in fact when that was all going on for himself... The band were actually writing and recording a new album. Turns out he's decided to step down by the sounds of things in a pretty amicable manner. There seems to be no bad blood between them. And then they've brought in Tom from Lorna Shore and they instantly dropped a new music video as well. So Chelsea Grin look like there's a new album on the way and the new single is called Dead Rose. It's very much deathcore as we expect, but with Tom's vocals on it, I think this Chelsea Grin sound is a bit better. It's harsh saying that when Alex was very prominent and important for this band, but it feels like Tom is the perfect fit. He looks like he's going to be taking this band possibly to a next level. But in saying that, we do know that Deathcore is pretty limited and I think it's a genre that's slowly dying off. So it'll be interesting to see where Chelsea Green go from this point. Now, after all of this came out that he had joined the band, it wasn't yet official if he'd left Lorna Shore. He did come out and release a statement saying that that was the past and he's left it and this is the new chapter Then Lorna Shaw came out with a very short statement saying that basically it was shocking, but it's not the end of Lorna Shaw. So kind of reading into it, it seems like he's left them in the lurch. So it'll be interesting to see where Lorna Shaw go from here. Personally, if I was looking at both Lorna Shaw and Chelsea Grin before all this happened, I would definitely say Lorna Shaw were the better band. So interesting where this is all going to go. So there's big shake-ups there all in the deathcore scene. All the articles and statements are on our website. Get on there, make sure you read up all about it. Other news this week was Madball announced the pre-orders and the artwork was revealed for their upcoming album For The Cause, which will be released on June 15th through Nuclear Blast Records. They also released the first single called Old Fashioned. Now, my one gripe with all of this, and this is coming from an absolute diehard Madball fan, is the artwork is boring. And 
I really enjoy delving into artwork and inlays. It's a big thing that I grew up with, with physical CDs and vinyls. It's all about the artwork. It can gauge you in, gives you an insight on what you're going to hear. And sometimes when I was growing up, it was a selling point. I bought some albums just based off the artwork alone without knowing what a band was about. This artwork is simply just got Freddie singing with a black and white filter on it and it just says Madball and For the Curse. Pretty disappointed in that, but the song that was released old-fashioned, yes, it's Madball. It's exactly what you expect. It is fucking hardcore. Very excited for this album. Hopefully we'll get some more tastes of the album as it goes because They've been saying that it's taking their sound and all the elements of past and present hardcore into the current album. So I'll be interested and really excited to delve into that album when it gets released. That artwork, the pre-order link and that first single, Old Fashioned, are all on our website and our social medias. Also this week, At The Gates Unleashed a third music video from their upcoming album and very impressive song. That album that it's from, To Drink From The Night Itself, is really exciting. Can't wait to review it. I've been lucky to be already listening to it for the last few weeks and I'm not really sure how to put it, but yes. I think that's the only way I can say it is just yes. So that music video and all other details about the album and previous music videos from it are on our website and social medias. Be sure to check them out. We also got a new Mastodon music video this week for their song Clandestiny off their album Emperor of Sand. It's trippy. It's fucking, it's Mastodon. It's humorous. It's out there. It's weird. It's very entertaining. That video clip is on our website and you can get to it through our social medias. Other bit of news this week was Great American Ghost released a new music video for their song No Saviour, which is from their album Hatred Stems from the Seed, which came out last year. Epic song, epic music video. Great American Ghost are one of those bands that I really am surprised haven't blown up yet, uh, not only internationally, but especially in Australia. A lot of people have been frothing and sweating Knocked Loose and Code Orange, which I understand why, because they're very good bands, some very good albums, but I think a lot of people have missed what Great American Ghost are and what they're capable of. That video clip sums up that album perfectly. I really, really recommend it. It was one of my favorite albums of last year. Really exciting band. Really refreshing band. And I think if you like bands like Knock Loose, Code Orange, Kublai Khan, you definitely need this album, Hatred Stems from the Seed, in your collection. Can't praise it enough. Also, The Moshone is lucky to be speaking to the guys in an upcoming episode as well. The link to that music video and the album is all on our website and social medias. So that is it for the Mosh News this week. As always, make sure you're subscribing to our website to get email notifications when new news is published. 
The website is, of course, accessed through www.themoshzone.com. Also, don't forget our social medias. Make sure you like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and those are all found at The Mosh Zone. It's now time for Mosh Reviews. First up this week is the new album by Dimu Borgier called Eonan, out now on Nuclear Blast Records. First off, I wouldn't ever say I was a massive fan or am a massive fan of Dimu, but they're a band that I've always appreciated and welcomed on certain albums. Certain albums I've really enjoyed, even though it's not really my cup of tea, the black symphonic metal. They're definitely a band that in the past have done it very well. Some would say they're definitely some of the best ever. They're pioneers in this game. If we're honest about it, Dimu have been struggling over the last decade. Their last album around seven years ago really was a rock-bottom moment for the band. They're a band that has not only turned a generation of fans into black metal fans, but symphonic metal fans. And unfortunately, over the last seven or so years, they've continued to underwhelm and underperform. At this point, it starts to feel like Shagrath is simply using this band in a cheeky way as just an excuse to get all his black metal gear on and make amazing epic videos. So, unfortunately, getting it out of the way, we have to say that this album really is disappointing. It's it's painful to say, but it is disappointing. Dimu have lost their edge. And when you say that, it is obviously also understandable considering the band's been around since 1993. So to still stay edgy and effective at this point in their career is hard. But then you do have to say that they have done well to get this far. The thing is, now in 2018, Dimu don't feel evil. Now, basically, a way of saying that is this album feels soft. There's nothing about this album that makes you feel fear, makes you feel evil. There's nothing really overly satanic about it, which is ironic because you don't think you'd need that, but with a Dimu album, that is essential. One of the biggest problems for me, I think, with this album is the songwriting. Previously, they've always had the ability to still have memorable riffs, despite songs maybe not living up to expectation. The thing on this album, there is really not a lot going on, apart from the tremolo picking riffing, and it feels very recycled at this point. It feels very samey, I've heard it before. The songs all seem to blend together. Even after about three listens, three or four listens of this whole album, everything seemed to just feel like it was the same. There was no real separation from one track to the next. And the problem with that is if you if none of your tracks are standing out, then what's your listener going to do? Is your listener going to want to have repeated listens or is it just simply going to fall into the background and be forgotten? And that's where this album, I think, for me, lies. It will fall into the background and be forgotten. Occasionally, there is some okay riffs on songs like the Amphurian Phoenix, but then they're overshadowed, those riffs, by this awkward, oversaturated balance of black and symphonic metal. Yes, Dimu is a symphonic band, but 
when Death Cult Armageddon came out, they used the symphonic to really paint a vision of apocalyptic and epicness. In this case, on Eonan, it seems just more of a gimmick. It doesn't seem to be there for the atmosphere. It kind of feels like they feel like it needs to be there and it's just thrown in because they're like, oh shit, we do the symphonic shit, don't we? Yeah, quick, quick, fucking throw some of that shit in. All right, done. Unfortunately, because of that, it comes across that Dimu wrote, you know, roughly two-thirds of the album and then just filled the rest with all these symphonic operatic moments just to fill the space to make it fattened out. They've really tried to flesh it out with this element. No matter how bad fans or diehard fans want to love this album, I think it's always going to pretty much disappoint. I don't want to harp on too much about this album, but simply put, it's not what you expect from Dimu. It feels rehashed, it feels unrelevant, and unfortunately, it leaves Dimu, in my opinion, really reevaluating themselves. At this point of their career, they really, after such a disappointing album seven years ago, they really needed to come back in and come back in with all guns blazing. They haven't done that. Where they go from here will be very interesting. Their mantle on top of the black symphonic metal mountain will never be doubted. But they're starting to tarnish their legacy with these last two albums. And Eonan is just not good. It is very subpar, unfortunately, and leaves a lot to be desired. If you are a fan of Dimu, I would say at least check it out. I would say go in with low expectations, because if you go in with your expectations high, I do feel you're going to be let down. It is out now. The album I am talking about is Eonan. It's from Dimu Borgier. It's out through Nuclear Blast, and we give it a 2 out of 10. Next album up for review is the new album by Skindred called Big Tings, out now on Napalm Records. I didn't muddle my words there, it is called Big Tings, and this album will probably take Skindred to bigger things. This is their seventh album, and this album has 10 tracks. And it's quite different sounding from their previous albums. Gone are the heavy, distorted guitar sounds, and they've been replaced with very clean, radio-friendly guitar sounds. But when I say that, I don't mean it in a negative. This band have decided that they're just going to aim for something now, and they're pushing for it. They've always been a band that have been on the verge of really breaking it, and I think with this album they probably will, especially in the American market. One thing about this is you cannot mistake in that Skindred sound. The sound is still distinct and it still is very much them. They've got the ability to sound up-tempo at times, but then they've got the energetic vibe, the fun vibe going on. They've also got that reggae feel, that punk feel, that funk feel, that rock feel. They do it all in there. Some people say they're new metal, but I don't think that's really giving them the respect they deserve. This album, Big Things, has big songs, big choruses, and Benji the vocalist, his vocals are again pivotal to this band and again shine very well on this album. Songs like That's My Jam, All The Time and Alive 
have that very much vocal prominence and ability showing off from Benji. And it's essential with this band because if the vocals weren't that good and that impressive, I think the band would really just be a gimmick. A big word that, to describe this album is definitely variation. There is a lot going on here and they have the ability to make each song sound very much on its own. Some songs on this album do sound like what you expect. They do sound like those classic Skindred jams. But then there's also this new catchier mainstream, if you want to say it, feel to other songs. A very important song to mention on this album is the song Machine, which feels like it's very much inspired by ACDC. You just can't help but feel like it's an Akadaka tribute song, and it definitely feels a bit different from the rest. There is also those very slow reggae metal songs that we know Skindred for, songs like Tell Me and Saying It Now, that... They're very calm. They stand out because they're slowered in tempo, but they're still so reggae as fuck. One thing that Skindred have always been known for is they never disappoint in the live setting. Having seen them a couple of times myself, even if you don't know their music, everyone leaves a fan of this band in a live setting. I think a lot of these songs have been written for that live setting environment. Some people will probably say that this album, Big Tings, is a bit of a sellout. It's a bit of mainstream turn, but it's not a bad thing. I think Skindred have the room in their sound and have always had the room in their sound to achieve more of a mainstream following. The album sounds like they have taken a step forward for success and you have to applaud them for it. While it's not always smooth sailing, it is very well delivered. Overall, this change in sound or this different approach in sound is only really a small change. There's still all of Skindred there. You've still got everything you expect. I really think this album will help their fan base grow and I really think it will take Skindred on the international scale a bit further up the order. The album is for fans of Skindred. If you're a fan of this band on previous albums, I don't think you're going to be disappointed. It is also for fans of nu metal, reggae rock, funk rock, funk metal. It is also for fans of mainstream radio rock. It is for fans of fun, party vibes, sing-alongs, massive choruses. This album we are talking about is Big Tings. It is by Skindred and it is out now on Napalm Records and we do give it a 5 out of 10. Next album up for review is the new album by Godsmack called When Legends Rise out now on Spine Farm Records. First off I've got to say that I've never understood the popularity that this band gained in the early to mid 2000s that Hard rock, alt metal, kind of heavy but not really heavy sound never really stood with me and never really connected with me. And it was interesting going into this album with a sense of no biasness, no sense of expectation. And what I left with was knowing that 
It is their seventh album, and it is ten tracks, and fucking hell, can I have my time back that I wasted listening to this album. I couldn't have fun with it. I couldn't enjoy it. I understand that Godsmack went for a way of writing this album that was different previously. Sully announced that what he's done is he's reached out to other writers and other producers to write and make and help create this album. And what they've created is definitely just a straightforward rock album. It is radio rock. It's not groundbreaking. It's not really doing anything. The singles are a perfect example of it. They had singles like Bulletproof, Unforgettable, Every Part of Me, These songs are just very plain, boring music. It is basically the kind of music you'd hear in the background in an elevator, in a reception waiting room of the doctors. It's very bland. It's very watered down. And there's no real creativity. It feels like the creativity has really been sapped out of this band. While I never really got into them, I did always say... Yes, I respect them for what they do. Now, to be honest, there's nothing really here to respect. I feel that they've completely decided that they want to try and reach out and sell as many albums as they can. And when I said earlier about Skindred had changed things up, Skindred did it in a way that didn't feel abandoned and fake from what their roots are. What Godsmack have done here is they have abandoned everything that they are known for, which is riffs, soaring choruses. There are some moments where the choruses do soar, but because of the lyrics, it's so cringy. It's so horrible. I just... Ugh, I, I don't know how this album could be deemed good. I don't know how people could say, yeah, this is really cool. I want to listen to this more. If you like rock music and you think this is quality, I'd really like to question your ability at assessing what quality music is because none of this is quality. None of this is not churn, run-of-the-mill, horrible shit. We've heard all of this a million times before. We've often heard it done better and Godsmack are just wasting our time with this album there was no need for this album this is album number seven and this possibly could be the last album the way this album is i don't think there's any point keep writing music i think you need to leave it now you're not going to hark back to your heyday anymore with your music obviously and there's no point making this music i don't want to go on anymore because i think i've gone on enough about this album this album is When Legends Rise. It is by Godsmack. It is out on Spine Farm Records. And I just say, don't bother. It's a 1 out of 10. Last but certainly not least album review of this week is the new album by Parkway Drive called Reverence, out now on Resist Records and Epitaph Records. Where do you start with a band like Parkway? Absolute massive band of the metalcore scene in the mid to late 2000s they were always pushing forward while all these other bands of this style were falling away disbanding only doing a couple of albums parkway continually grow and grow and grow and their sound has always evolved from album to album you look at 
early things like their EP and Killing With A Smile had a very stringent to the core of metalcore sound. It then went very heavy and quicker paced with Horizons. They then experimented with Deep Blue and Atlas. And then in 2015, we saw them really jumping and pushing into different territory with their album Ire. And I really enjoyed Ire. Ire is one of those albums that the more I've listened to it, you can see just how much class and magnificence is going on in this album and this band Possess. They've had the ability with that album to push themselves into an upper echelon of bands, which is really hard for a lot of bands to do. They seem to get to a point and that's it. But a band like Parkway with an album like Aya not only increased their sound to more stadium-sized, anthem-sounding, not really metalcore anymore, it was just metal, They also gained massive support throughout Europe and America. They were able to play massive festivals, headline big festivals, and also massive headline tours. All of this brings us into album number six, which is called Reverence, as I said at the start. I honestly think this album will go down in the history of this band as being their black album. And I think that is a massive compliment in itself. While this album at times is a departure from their origins, it's not so sudden and drastic in the other sense. This album really balances the old and the new, but definitely incorporates a lot of new. And that's something that listeners need to really grasp when they go into this album you need to go in with an open mind and you need to respect what Parkway have done here Parkway are doing what they want to do which is so commendable so many bands tend to just do what they think is going to be good Parkway do what they want to do and what they want this band to sound like Reverence is definitely another evolution forward from their last album, Ire. It's another step forward into this massive sounding metal, this massive arena sounding metalcore. There is not so much persistent breakdowns and hardcore elements that you had in Horizons and Killing With A Smile, but there is massive riffs, earth-shattering choruses, and a real sense that Parkway Drive have definitely broken the ceiling and these guys are on top of their game. Opening track Wishing Wells is a very interesting and ideal way to start the album. It's got sweeping guitars, the chorus is bouncy as it is brutal and Winston has this way of sounding very apocalyptic yet very angry and spiteful it has some very classic feeling and stylings of bands like lamb of god and slipknot and iron maiden but mixed in with the classic stylings of parkway drive there's so many songs on this album that stand out on their own each song very much has its own place on the album but also overall in this band's discography there's the second single the void 
which I think is just so expansive with that twin guitars that have licks and solos and it's expansive and layered and it brings to mind so much epic anthem feelings which is what Parkway Drive are able to produce on this album with ease. The anthems are done so fucking well. But when I say The Void is a massive anthem, I think the biggest anthem on this album is definitely the third single that was released, Pray. It stands out. It has, as some people have said, a Pirates of the Caribbean feel. I don't think that. I think it draws more from like a Amana Marth feel. Fist-pumping riff. It's gigantic chorus. That breakdown feeling at the end in the last minute just gets your head fucking moving. And it's so superbly played out and so well executed. Parkway Drive have always had the ability to bring the chaos. But something they definitely did on albums like Deep Blue and Atlas were they were also able to experiment a little bit and take things down a notch. They have done that again on this album with the song Cemetery Bloom. It's very dark, it's very ambient, and it moves along like a prowling animal. And it's got a very poetic, gripping feel in the lyrics. There's that gang vocals. And near the end, it only starts to introduce drums and guitars, leaving a very big impression, that song. That song really feels phenomenal. That song will outstandingly fit into a stadium-sized set. The closing track, The Colour of Leaving, is both sinister and reflective, and it leaves a big impression on you at the end of this album, arguing about the complexities of God or a further being, and that seems to be a theme that runs through this album. It's very personal. Not that Parkway Drive albums are personal, but this album feels in some ways a lot more personal. It's a lot darker themed in many ways. There's also songs like Absolute Power. It has massive, massive fucking hooks, massive fucking breakdown. And Absolute Power is Parkway Drive showing that their roots are still with them, but they're taking them to a new level. There is so much going on this that it feels a hark back to the past, but not in a negative way. This feels like they're saying... For all of those naysayers that might say they've changed too much, they haven't really. They're still the same band, just matured. Then you look at a song like I Hope You Rot, which again has massive hooks. It's got a big chorus line. It has that unforgettable Parkway groove and sense of rhythm that they always have. And this song, along with a lot of songs on this album, also show not only maturity in this band's writing sense, but also in Winston's vocals. Winston, on not only this song, but throughout this album, has in many ways shown he's not a one-trick pony. He's really showing that he has all of these forms of vocals under his hat. He can scream, he can kind of yell, he can sing... There's literally everything you can think of. And one thing that makes that so interesting and fresh in this environment is you understand as a vocalist 
that screaming and doing the same styles over and over can feel repetitive and mundane. And he's making sure that this is exciting for him. He's pushing himself and he's really exploring all the avenues that he can as a vocalist. And it's so refreshing to hear that not every song sounds the same vocally or musically. Now, when we talk about the musical evolution of the band, it is still Parkway Drive, but everything has taken to the next level. The drums have always been a pivotal, outstanding part of this band, and the drums, unbelievably, have taken another step forward. The drums feel hard as hell. It's pummeling and driving. At times, the drum kit sounds like it's been beaten and thrashed and abused until the moment that those drumsticks break and the skin snap and that kit is no longer usable. The drums are so fucking sexy. The guitar tones on this album, it's massive and melodic and 90s feelings, but it still has that bite and snap, still feels frantic and insane. And it has a sense of confidence that oozes from those frets and those strings. It's got the crunch in the right spots, yet it sparkles in a massive arena-sounding feel in others. The bass feels like it has its place in this mix. It rumbles along in the mix, along with the vocals at times. There is moments where this bass has its own place. It's on its own and at times feels very innovative being in the forefront of the Parkway Drive sound. It has this 90s rage against the machine almost feeling, and it feels unique and fresh and evolutionary in Parkway's sound. One thing about this album is it will garner attention, and so it fucking should. It will be really interesting to see what the overall fan take on this is, But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because this album will sell well. This album will replicate well in a live setting. And this album stands very strong in their discography. One thing about Parkway that I stand by and will always say, all of their albums are phenomenal. Some of their albums, it might take you a while to get into, but you will love everything they do. Everything is different and stands on its own two feet. Reverence is no different. With each spin, there's a new favorite. With each spin, you're getting more out of it. And that speaks volumes of what Reverence has done and can do. Some songs will grab you straight away, while others linger there and then out of nowhere, snap. You love them, and you love them more than the other ones. This album is Definitely seeing Parkway Drive at their top of the game. The other thing I have forgotten to mention that I'm just remembering now is there is such a thing as clean vocals in a Parkway Drive song now, but it works. But as I'm saying, this is them at top of their game. Parkway Drive need to be recognized as one of the best in the heavy genre. I'm no longer going to say they're the metalcore kings. I'm just saying they're the metal kings. They are definitely the best band to come out of Australia. And they're definitely turning heads worldwide. And it's so good to see because they're such great, nice guys. And their music, hands down, always memorable. 
there will be some people that are going to get a bit negative about this, but I really, for those people that have something negative to say about this album, I really say keep it to yourself. This is Parkway's music, and Parkway have done their fucking best on this thing. Holy shit, I kept saying to myself, every time the next moment happened, every time that next riff kicked in, Next song after next song was, holy shit, what the fuck, wow, this is amazing. I could not get enough of this. Been lucky to be listening to it for a few weeks. I really recommend you get behind Parkway, grab a physical copy, buy a copy off iTunes, spin it on Spotify, get the vinyl, get a t-shirt, back Parkway Drive. This album is for fans of Parkway Drive. This is for fans of massive sounding anthemic metal. Bands like Architects, bands like Lamb of God, bands like Slipknot. This is for fans of the riff. This is for fans of the hook and the breakdown. This is huge. This will be huge and I can't stop fucking rambling about it. To be honest, I fucking loved it. This album has without a doubt jumped straight to the forefront as the best album of the year, which is quite funny to say that because we've had a few really good albums recently, but Parkway Drive have just burst through the pack, taken the title so far. And to be honest, I can't see a lot coming out that's going to knock them off the pedestal. We are talking about Reverence. It is from Parkway Drive. It is out now on Resist Records and Epitaph Records, and we give it, without a doubt, a 10 out of 10. So that's it for our Mosh reviews this week, done and dusted. What did you think? Do you agree with our reviews? Do you disagree with our reviews? Is there anything that we've missed that's come out recently? Was there an album that you were like, fuck, I was digging this, but you missed it, guys? Let us know. Get in touch. Are you in a band that's got an EP or an album on the way? Get in touch. We'd love to review it on the show. Don't forget the ways to get in touch are through our email, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. You can get in touch through our social medias, which are all at themoshzone, or you can get in touch through the website, which is www.themoshzone.com. So that's it for reviews. We're now going to roll on to our great chat with Robbie from The Contortionist. Great opportunity and a great privilege to sit down with the guitar wizard of The Contortionist. Good to get an insight into the man and the band and about their creative process and their progression as a band over the years. That chat with Robbie is coming up now. So I thought I'd start off with um, what age did you discover and get into the heavier style of music? Um, I think I was probably about 12 or 13 years old. Um, A buddy of mine had burnt me a a CD that was kind of like a Slipknot um, mix, Uh, you know, a couple things from uh, from their first two records. Um, <laughs> and, uh, my mom found that one day and she, she took it away, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I eventually got that back and my mom was like, okay, this is, this is okay. 
So what was the first album you bought with your own money? First album I bought. I think it was... uh must have been um, Radiohead, um, Hail to the Sea, I believe. Oh, wow. Great album. Yeah. So what made you want to play guitar? What was the influence or the drive behind wanting to pick up that instrument? Um, well, my dad was a bass player, is, is a bass player, and um, I just remember thinking how cool I thought that was when I was a you know, young kid. And uh, I, mem- I remember the moment when I made the distinction between a bass guitar and, and like an actual like, you know, electric guitar. And uh, I kind of, I think maybe it was at that point, I was probably like, I don't know, five or six years old or something. I think it was at that point that I realized that I wanted to play guitar. And what were, what were your early influences, or who were your early influences playing guitar? Well, my dad um, used to play us, you know, like Rush and Genesis, and yes, you know, all the all the <laughs> standard um, classic prog rock records. <clears throat> and so, I think a lot of that um, I may not have realized it when I was. You know, an eleven-year-old starting out on guitar, but a lot of that stuff was kind of really what what uh, my earlier influences were on guitar. Now, and then I had friends that I played with growing up who, who turned me on to other styles of music and stuff. So now, of course, Contortionist actually started out as a different named band at the start. It was called At the Hands of Machines. And how did you guys originally come together? Were you friends from high school? Were you just friends that knew each other? Um, well, I'm, I'm surprised that you know about that. <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, I had, I had always been playing music with my brother, and he's, he's the drummer in the band. And um, we started playing with Cameron, uh, the other guitar player in high school, and um, I think uh, they, they needed a bass player because they had already had two guitar players. And so I originally was a bass player. <clears throat> and, um, you know, we just kept playing through high school, um, picked up new guys along the way. And, man, at some point, it just seemed like it had turned into a, well, what it is now, I guess. So. <laughs> And when you guys were at the hand, uh, called at the hands of machines, it was it was a different sound, really, compared to what we know the contortionist as. How did you guys, you know, come into the sound that you have now? Because at the start, I mean, it's a it's a very badly taste word now saying deathcore, but you guys were a very techy death deathcore sounding band, and now you're one of the pushing forefronters of progressive metal. Um, how did you guys switch up styles? Was it just a natural progression or was it intentional? Um, I guess I'd say it's a little bit of both, really. Um, you know, we 
we, you know, all the, the three core members of the band, um, Joe Cameron and myself, we had all grown up on, you know, the classic progressive rock records. And so that, that was always kind of, the seed for that was kind of always planted. Um, it was just, you know, the, I don't know, maybe the teenage angst that was, that was coming out in, in the super heavy deathcore kind of music. Um, but you know, as we got older, we kind of reconnected with what, you know, what was there really all along. And, uh, at least that's how I see it anyway. You know, I mean, we still love heavy music. Um, and we love to do that in our own music still. We just, we have so many other sounds that are to us so worth exploring. And, uh, so that's, I guess that's just what happened. And the first two EPs, um, that the contortionist re- released, um, was it a was it a difficult time for the band because you guys went through uh, two vocalists, one on each EP. Um, those EPs were Shapeshifter and Apparation, I think if that's how you pronounce it. Um, how did it feel at the time in the band? Did you feel like you guys were getting somewhere? Were you being received well, or was it still very much um, a struggle period for the contortionist? Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it was ever really a struggle, but, um, you know, we, uh, we just, uh, I don't know. I can, I'm, I'm trying to think back to why we switched vocalists at that point in time. I think it was just. Dudes were, dudes were ready to move on, and and you know, we the band was still doing well. You know, we were, we were always pretty well received in in our home state, uh, Indiana, um, and we played local shows all throughout high school and and even afterwards. Um, but uh, to answer your question, I, I I would say it was never really a, a struggle. It was just, um, you know we were just always, you know, growing up and, and realizing that maybe this dude wasn't right for the spot or this dude is not, uh, you know, creatively in going in the same direction that we want to be going. So, so it was all about, it was, I think you, that's just kind of how we ended it. You were just finding your feet basically. And then, um, exoplanet was where myself, I first discovered you guys. Um, that was kind. That was a concept album, which is kind of something you guys do now, but you do it with confidence. Um, do you feel concept albums is where you guys belong to be doing, or is it just something that, just by chance, you guys do concept albums? Well, it really was just because you know, at the time, that's at the time of Exoplanet, that's what the bands that we were influenced by, at least that's kind of what they were doing. Um, and a, a lot of, of the bands that we were into were also doing, you know, they were concept records in a way, but they weren't like, 
you wouldn't look at it and listen to it and be like, oh, this is a concept album. It was kind of a a thing where it was like a an implied kind of thing, you know, like getting familiar with the lyrics across multiple songs, you realize there's kind of a general message here, but it's not necessarily a, a concept album as a, as a lot of bands tend to sort of try to brand it as a, as such. Um, and I think that's sort of the direction that, that this band has moved in is, um, I mean, we love the idea of doing concept albums, but we, we want to do it in a way to where there's still enough room for interpretation uh, from the listener, I guess. Oh, we, I think that makes any sense. It does, and I think that's the thing. If you if you delve into the music, you can get what you want out of it, and then when you do some reading on it, then I think you really discover its concept. For for an outsider, you wouldn't know at first. Um, then I feel like from from Australia's standpoint, you guys really became a name. Um, and a big player around the time of uh, 2014's language album. Um, at this time, it, it felt like suddenly the contortionists were a forefront um, of the progressive scene. Is this around the time that you guys feel like you started being a name for yourself? Um, I would say... I would say yes, and maybe no also. I think uh, <laughs> some of the opportunities that we had um, on even the exoplanet and intrinsic uh, tour cycles uh, kind of showed us, you know, we, we maybe didn't realize how, how big the band was um, or how well-received, like, internationally the band was. Um, at that point, but I think a lot of the opportunities we had just on those two record cycles kind of showed the band, you know, what was possible and, and how well the music was received kind of all over the world. Um, we did, we toured, uh, Japan and, um, Mexico on, on those records and, just, I think that experience and, and even touring with like Deftones and stuff and just kind of showed the guys in the band what, you know, what, what could be next. And it's kind of been sort of a driving factor since then, I think. But then, um, definitely after Language came out, I, we felt like we finally had a record that we could stand behind as far as like the production and songwriting went. Um, I think with, with our first two records, we were kind of immediately dissatisfied with how the production had turned out in general. Um, and uh, after starting to work with Jamie King, who um, recorded and engineered uh, language and clairvoyant, then we finally had the production down. And uh, I think at that point, it was definitely... Um, you know, we we realized that we had figured that aspect of the band out at least. And that that album you mentioned was last year's Clairvoyant. That that went huge. That popped. Um, so so much pushing the limit. 
um, and not going by the rules in a way. You guys are setting your own standards. Is that what you aim to achieve with that album? Because that album is amazing. It's in a lot of people's best of the year lists from last year. It really came out of the gate unexpectedly. Um, and you guys set yourself a new benchmark for going ahead. Was that the aim or is it just how it came about? I think that's really just how it sort of happened. Uh, you know, the band was already sort of on a trajectory and I think there's a number of paths that we could have taken with clairvoyance that would have still... You know, who knows how well those would have done, but um, it would have been well, at least well received uh, in general with our fans. But uh, to be honest with you, man, the writing and recording of Clairvoyant was kind of, for me personally, a confusing and uh, kind of a difficult time. Um, so to be honest, it was kind of hard to tell what was going to happen when, when the record was dropped just because it was there was a lot going on uh, with just trying to get the record finished and, and dealing with life and shit so yeah I mean I, I guess I would just say that's sort of just how the cards fell and does it feel rewarding that all all of it has gained a lot of success and um, acclaim for the band Clairvoyant um, absolutely. It's, it's definitely been a, um, a, uh, self-affirming, uh, experience since the release of the record. So I, I'm very happy with how the record was received and, and how it sold and, you know, the opportunities that it's presenting itself now and, and in the future. Do you, now a question I've got with, the, the style that you guys do and um, and how unique you are within the scene is, do you ever feel that there's pressure with the contortionists to uh, push the limits and step out of the boundaries? Uh, do you feel like there's a lot of eyes on you guys to constantly evolve? Um, does it keep the pressure on? Yeah, and, you know, I think that's probably a, a healthy thing for us to have in, in our minds, at least. Um, and when we were doing clairvoyant, you know, that was something that was always in the back of our minds um, as we were working the songs out and, uh, you know, everything. Um, it doesn't seem like it's a whole lot of pressure because I feel like, uh, we've been able to make so many changes over the years stylistically and people are still cool with it. So it, it almost, it almost feels like we uh, are able to do what we please and uh, not worry too much about it. And, and do you feel, do you feel still inspired by the current, heavy scene or do you feel like the current heavy scene is a bit too overly saturated? Well, I, I would say, I mean, any genre of music I, I would say is pretty heavily oversaturated for the most part. 
Um, there are there have been a few heavy bands over the years that have stuck out, you know, through the cacophony of of metal music. There there's been a few bands over the years who have at least kept my interest in um, you know newer bands who have come about who have inspired me. Um, so I. I I mean, it's a it's a thing of the new world of music with streaming and just the internet in general. I think music has gotten it's gotten so much easier to do music as a um you know a career. So now, I would not say that it's just heavy metal music that is is being ailed by that. I think it's a, just a symptom of the world that we're in at the moment. So do you think? I mean, I'm a bit torn with uh, what, with where the music industry is. How how do you feel from from someone that's grown up when CDs were still you know a thing, um, to now that streaming is what it's all about? Um, do you see it as a a difficult time, or do you see it as a transitioning time in the scene or the industry? Sorry. Um, I mean, from my short time that I've been in the music industry, from all the stories that I've heard, um, you know, it, it seems like it's a transitional time. You know, the, the standard record contract kind of model doesn't, is it's, you know, it's becoming more and more obsolete um, every month, really. And so I think that record labels are are being forced to change just to survive. And um, ideally, you know, we would see better situations for recording artists in the future. And, uh, you know, every once in a while you hear about small victories with getting percentages knocked slightly more in the favor of the artist as far as, like, streaming goes. Um. But, you know, just the fact that how I was saying it's so easy to be a musician as a career now. Um, it's just oversaturated the market, too. And, and that's another, that's a whole other thing. Uh, but, yeah, in general, I, I definitely at least hope that it's a transition period. Now, last question I've got is in regards to the upcoming... Australian tour with Sixth. Um, what are we going to expect in the set list? Are we going to expect a bit of everything, um, or is it going to be very clairvoyant base set list? What can we expect? Um, it will definitely be a clairvoyant heavy set list. Nice. Um, as much as much uh, language as we'll able be able to put in there, and then uh, they'll definitely be a good chunk of older stuff in there too nice very nice now my last segment i do is called pick your poison so it's kind of like a would you rather and we just get to know robbie a little bit more and it's pick pick your favorite of the two things that are mentioned (laughs) okay pizza or burger pizza chicken or beef Ooh, vegetarian. Oh, respect. 
Be- so I, I would say I, I would actually, if I had to, I would pick chicken. Beach or snow? Beach. Cinema or on the couch? Ooh, uh, cinema. Cat or dog? Ooh, thanks. Um, dog. Terminator or Predator? Terminator. Slayer or Pantera? Pantera. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. Oh, wow. Uh, PS4 or Xbox? PS4. Nice. And last one, touring or recording? Uh, Absolutely. Hands down, recording. Nice. Well, thank you so much, Robbie, for taking time out. Absolutely, man. It was good talking to you. Uh, really look forward to uh, getting down to a show in May. It's going to be sick. Can't wait. Awesome. Well, uh, which show are you coming to? Uh, the first one, I'll be in Brisbane. Oh, cool. Cool. So uh, we'll, get, we'll have some uh, Spinal Tap moments for you, I'm sure. <laughs> hey, fuck yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> Uh, have a good rest of your day, buddy. Right on, Absolutely, you as well. Thanks, man. Thanks, buddy. So that was our chat with Robbie of the Contortionist. Thank you, Robbie, for taking time out for the Mosh Zone. Really appreciated it. Great chance to get to know all about him and the band. And that is the Mosh Zone Episode 16, Week 16, Volume 16, wrapped up, done and dusted, in the fucking can. Of course, as we always say, please subscribe to our website. It helps you stay up to date with any articles and any news that is posted. It also keeps you up to date on the podcast, lets you know when it's launched and live. To do that, you just got to go to www.themoshzone.com and it will prompt you with your email address. Simply just add it and then you can stay up to date. Also, of course, make sure you follow and like our social medias. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. All of those are at The Mosh Zone. Also, don't forget, if you want to send us a question or send us some feedback or send us your album or EP for review... Send us an email at themoshzone at gmail.com. Also got to say, if you like the show and you're enjoying the podcast, please help us out with a bit of sharing and telling your friends all about us. Help us spread the word about The Mosh Zone. Something as simple as just sharing it on your Facebook or Instagram can do volumes for the show. We do notice everyone that does frequently help out. We are forever grateful for those that do share it. So please help us out. Give it a share. Spread the word. Help us grow the show. Help us grow the Mosh Zone community. Some exciting news with the podcast is we are now on Podbean. 
we are also in the process of almost launched on Spotify. Coming up in the next few weeks, we will be on Spotify. So anyone that uses Spotify will now be able to just subscribe and follow us there and then every week get the podcast through that service. So thank you for tuning in. I hope you had a great time listening. I had a great time putting this show together. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the perch.